This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I want to welcome everyone to the show. I was called out this weekend for not disagreeing with Tony Moore. Or him not disagreeing with me more. That, way you that's a lame it. and well-worn criticism. It was. Um, it could have been an, an. I could have been imagining that because I was in the middle of nowhere, uh, lost, scared, but not alone. And you just need to. You just need to change the intro so that it is not <laughs> false advertising, we and then there will be no the basis time. for the criticism. <laughs> well, I did point out to this person that we do disagree on sports quite a bit but that's about the only thing we really disagree on uh, right so okay we agree to sometimes disagree but most of the time agree is that better is that a better intro uh, not really okay. i think you should just say that we are we have unanimity over what is correct yikes so <laughs> okay so uh a few things have happened since we last spoke but they're just really not, a few they're not necessarily new things but they're the same things ratcheted up a few degrees um so you wanted to talk you'd sent me an email or uh, a text last week and you wanted to talk about something i'm going to let you uh go right into uh minnesota all right well i think as a preface to this and we can expand this a little bit so the general theme of what i want to talk about is uh well first of all the the mendacity of the media which is which is a given but also I really want us to spend, you know, maybe 10 or 15 minutes giving people information about not only George Floyd, but we can now expand this to Mr. Blake, uh, who was uh, the reason why there has been mass rioting, burning uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, another episode where a man was shot multiple times by the police. There was an initial immediate firestorm of protest and anger and upheaval. And yet what always seems to happen is additional facts, which these people never bother to gather, come to light. And the entire story is very different, although it's never actually reported once the convulsions have begun because it served its purpose. So let's begin with George Floyd. Now, Chad, why don't you do this? <laughs> You provide the audience with what the average person knows about what happened to George Floyd, the man on the street who is relying upon ABC News, MSNBC, the New York Times, etc., to provide him or her with information. What would you summarize as what they currently know about George Floyd? Well, see, that, that's two different questions. There's what some news reports say, and then there's what they don't say, but let's no, no. If they're relying, if they're relying on those media sources, sure. which is including clearly what they don't say, what would you think the average person would tell you about what happened to George Floyd? George Floyd, just, George Floyd was a guy trying to get a job. He went from Texas to Minnesota. He just minding his own business. The cops show up because obviously every cop goes out in the morning and says, "Who can I kill today?" Drove out to this place with a guy who just minding his own business, not doing anything, and he decided to arrest him, put a chokehold on him, throw him to the ground, put their knee on his neck, and kill the guy. Because that was what they did, hoping they would get not seen by 
literally everybody in broad daylight, but that's what they were going to do because they said we're white and well, one of them's white and we can get away with anything we want. Basically, that's the narrative right. they're fed. And so I, I agree with that. I think a fair summation of what most people believe, including many people who are intelligent and try to stay informed about the news, is that George Floyd was murdered in broad daylight by a corrupt and abusive police officer who kneeled on his neck for nine minutes uh, in full view of cameras while he was begging for his life and telling him he couldn't breathe and George Floyd asphyxiated to death. Okay. Yep. Now that is not, we know now what happened. And I can already hear people saying, what are you, you crazy Tony? Have you been listening to Alex Jones? Well, how could you possibly say this? Are you telling us to disbelieve our lying eyes? So yes. no, I'm not. What I am telling you, however, is that there's other very relevant information. Hold Number on one, second. hold on a second. Are you saying there might have been an agenda, possibly? Gee, I, you know, I, I really okay. am not a cynical person, so I would never suggest that, okay. uh, that the media would. would attempt to frame <laughs> this narrative again. But let's talk about, again, this is not my opinion. Let's talk about the other facts that have come to light, which the media have not reported. Because, again, there's a narrative, that, and these facts are inconvenient. There is video from at least two other officers who were there who had been charged uh, of what was going on before the nine minutes when we see George Floyd on the ground. And it's about 20 minutes worth of GoPro video from the minute that they are engaged with Mr. Floyd. And I encourage people, you can, you can Google this, you can find that video. I encourage you to find it and to watch it because it is eye-opening. What are some of the things that you see in the video? First, one of the things that you see is that immediately they come upon George Floyd in his vehicle. He is in a state of high agitation. Uh, he is clearly, if not delirious, close to being delirious, paranoid, uh, behaving very erratically. And the police are, are respectful. They are courteous. There's no indication in this interaction that they are mistreating him or belittling him. They're trying to get him under control and to calm down. One of the most significant things that you see on these videos is that George Floyd doesn't want to be put in the police car. He says he's claustrophobic. He's resisting. And this is a big man. He's 6'3", 230 pounds. He's a big dude. They're trying to get him into the police car. And George Floyd, while he is standing up, over a period of 20 minutes, says at least four or five different times, I can't breathe. He keeps saying this. Now, Chad, why is that significant? Well, because it would imply that he couldn't breathe from some other reason other than a neck being crushed by uh, a knee. Correct? Yes. So what everyone assumed from the nine-minute video is that when George Floyd was on the ground saying he couldn't breathe, the only possible reason for that was because a wicked racist police officer's knee was on his neck. What we now know from this video is that for whatever reason, whether imagined or otherwise, George Floyd was continually saying that he couldn't believe for at least 20 minutes before he was even put on the ground. Okay, so that's one of the key things that we see there. And of course, that also goes directly to the alleged motivation of Derek Chauvin, because on the one hand, if all you've seen is the nine minute video, what you conclude is this is a vile and wicked, vicious man who is ignoring the pleas from a prostrate person for their life. 
right? Because what he's doing to him. But now what we know is that Derek Chauvin had already heard George Floyd, who was in, who was not on the ground, who was upright, telling officers repeatedly, I can't breathe. Now, maybe Chauvin decides he's making this up. Who knows? But what it does show is that that was not the first time that Floyd or the second time or the third time that he had said this. The other thing that we see in the video is that George Floyd is kind of foaming at the mouth. And one of the things that he tells the officers who noticed this is he had just been playing basketball. Well, it appears that that's not true. And so now what we need to add in from the video, which is courteous encounter, extremely bizarre, paranoid, almost delirious behavior, and repeated statements that he couldn't breathe to what goes on after he's dead when there is a chief medical examiner for Hennepin County who examines the blood toxicology. And Chad, why don't you tell people in general, by the way, I'm sure most people have never even heard of this. And the reason we know about this, and Chad will summarize what was found, is that the prosecutors just released a memorandum of their meeting with the chief medical examiner. Okay, This is the guy that does this as his job for that county. And they memorialized this in a memorandum. That memorandum was completed and known to the police three months ago. They released it this week. I will leave you to decide why it is that they delayed for over three months while Minnesota burned the release of this memo. And Chad, why don't you tell the listeners kind of just the the nutshell of what the chief medical examiner had to say to the police or to actually to the prosecutors? To the prosecutors, which he briefed on May 31st at 7.30 p.m. Now, remember, uh, George Floyd wa- died on, was it 28th, I believe? Yes. So three days after George Floyd died, the prosecutors had this information from the chief medical examiner. Okay. So basically, he summarizes uh, that George Floyd had toxic levels of drugs in his system, uh, 4-ANPP, a precursor to metabolite of fentanyl. That's not the big thing that he has is fentanyl. Methamphetamine, fentanyl 11. He said that's pretty high. This level of fentanyl can cause pulmonary edema, meaning fluid in the lungs. Uh, Mr. Lungs were, or Mr. Floyd's lungs were two to three times their normal weight at autopsy. This is a fatal level of fentanyl under normal circumstances. It, what basically what he's saying is this guy had so much fentanyl in his system that he was going to die regardless of what what else happened in the situation. That's that's the the. Uh, uh, I think he also said urine as well to confirm it. Yeah, I think I think it's also summarized in the memo that he he told the police in any other circumstance I classify this as an overdose. Here's what he said. Uh, the medical examiner said that if Mr. Floyd had been found dead in his home or anywhere else and there were no other contributing factors, he would conclude that this was an overdose death. Right. So let's put this together. We now have video that demonstrates that Mr. Floyd was, according to him, having trouble breathing even when he was standing up. He was behaving erratically as if he was on drugs, which he was. In fact, we know that he has, from the toxicology report, not only meth, but as the medical examiner said, a lethal amount of fentanyl in his system. And what is going on is that his lungs are actually filling with fluid. 
He is dying from respiratory distress. And we know that this was occurring because at the autopsy, as Chad just recounted, his lungs were two to three times their normal size because they had been filled with fluid. None of this could possibly have been caused by Derek Chauvin being on top of him. And in fact, what we also already knew from the autopsy was that there are no signs of trauma or asphyxiation yep. as a result of what had occurred. Now, no, we didn't now, hear that early on. We heard that the preliminary results said there was no trauma to the... Sure, we already knew that. The bombshell here is that the police, I keep saying the police, the prosecutors knew three days, 72 hours after this occurred, that their chief medical examiner would have to get on the stand and opine that Mr. Floyd almost certainly died from a lethal overdose of fentanyl. Did they release this to the public? No. Did they tell anyone about this? No. They buried this for three months, and in the meantime, riots, looting, burning across America because people think that George Floyd died from a guy on his neck. One other thing to add, which the media has not reported, which is almost, which I think would be exhibit number one that the defense team is going to blow up at trial. The Minneapolis Police Department has very specific training procedures for police in how to deal with an agitated person in a drug-induced state. Chad, I'll give you one guess what technique is recommended in the, own, in the police's own training materials that, of course, would have been given to Derek Chauvin. And what do you think that is? I'm going to guess there's a knee on the neck. There is putting the suspect, the person being arrested, face down on their belly with a knee on their neck. And if you don't believe me, listeners, I encourage you to Google that. And what you will find is not only a description of this, but a very helpful demonstrative photo, which shows sample officers and a sample person being arrested in exactly the same position in which George Floyd found himself on the night that he tragically died. Now, Chad, what do you think the defense attorneys are going to tell a jury when it is claimed that Mr. Chauvin was willfully and intentionally murdering Mr. Floyd and doing so by engaging in a tactic that is brutal and unconscionable. Do you think that they might show the jury the picture of the mandated training procedures for the police in that very jurisdiction? I would if I were his defense attorney. That's what I would pull out. And you know what? You're not even a lawyer. So no, I suspect that a criminal defense attorney is going to be blowing that up and plastering it all over the courtroom. So what can we conclude from all of this information that our disgraceful media has no intention of publicizing? Well, first of all, based on the medical examiner's findings, based on the video, direct video evidence, there is simply no way that any prosecutor can charge Derek Chauvin with any type of murder. Do you agree with that? I agree that any other prosecutor other than Keith Ellison, yes. 
Yes, we're assuming a prosecutor that has ethics and that is not grandstanding to a mob. Yes. That is correct. Because remember, being a prosecutor is not about getting your man, not, a, not about appeasing a particular narrative. It is about ensuring that justice is done. And what that means is, is that not only do we convict people who we believe are guilty of crimes, but we don't charge people who we know are innocent of crimes. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that there can't be a lesser, a potentially lesser charge against Chauvin for abuse of his authority, for using tactics that were perhaps um, unnecessary. It's a long time that he was on Floyd's neck, but there is simply no way that a prosecutor in front of a fair jury, and that's an open question. I'm not sure Chauvin can get a fair trial anywhere in the country. Based on this information, what the prosecutors knew three months ago, you cannot possibly, with any sense of ethics, charge him with any type of murder. He didn't die from a knee on his neck. He simply didn't. So the question becomes then, if it's in the manual and George Floyd was lethally dosed by his own, seen by his own hand, what why would he be charged at all? You said even of a lesser crime. What would he be charged with? I don't know. I don't know enough about the criminal code in Minnesota to speculate about whether there might even be a lesser charge. What I would assume is that what should really happen here is that there's some kind of internal discipline, potentially, if an investigation concludes that he did something impermissible. Maybe the argument is that's an appropriate training technique, but you ignored somebody who was still claiming that they were in distress and therefore you have to change your approach. You have to let him sit up. Who knows? But the bottom line is under the criminal law, based on that information, remember, the standard in a criminal trial is beyond a reasonable doubt. There is now enough, it's not even just doubt, there is conclusive evidence from the chief medical examiner that this guy died from his own actions in overdosing on a drug. It doesn't give me any delight in saying that, no, but most no. people who purport to be about justice should want the truth. What if Derek Chauvin is your father or your husband? Yeah. Want him going to prison for the rest of his life because of a nine minute video that depicts him as a demon? No. When we now know that the reason this man died had nothing to do with that knee on his neck, nothing medically to do with it. There is no way that you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt with that evidence that he committed murder. Impossible. So I think that, <clears throat> I think optics, and, and we're in a different age, and I recognize that we're in an age where just about everybody has a cell phone with a camera and they're willing to record literally everything. They won't even help sometimes because they want to record it for some reason. Uh, you know, we, we saw that with Rodney King in 91, uh, but it's more prevalent, obviously, now that everybody has a camera in their pocket. And I think it changes some of the calculus on when people look at these videos. I've never been a policeman. I, I know many policemen, but I've never been a policeman. I've never done a ride along. I can only imagine what that's like and what what horrors you might encounter on a daily basis and i think you're going to act you're going to act to protect yourself and your fellow officers yes you're there to serve and protect but i really think you're trying to make sure things don't get out of hand 
And, you know, maybe 99 times out of 100, this is something that happens and there's no real long-term repercussions for the the criminal. Uh, and it's just what you do. The, the, the manual says we kneel on his neck, we keep him subdued so we, so we can get him calmed down and get him in the car. Obviously, you know, we don't, we pick and choose the pieces of video we want to watch. So the, the one that's most damning to whatever narrative we're trying to put out. I think it makes it hard for the average person to look at that video and go, how is that officer not in the wrong? And it looks like he was causing uh, the death of George Floyd. And I don't think the facts even make any difference to the average person. And obviously the facts in Minnesota were withheld for months. I question why they came out now. What changed to suddenly let them come out? Did somebody say, I'm just tired of sitting on this? Did it? Because they probably have to be produced in discovery. Okay. And here's the other point, which kind of dovetails with what you're saying. You're right. I don't blame most people for forming knee-jerk opinions based on the video that they saw. But this is the problem with our media, which is if we had an even halfway honest media in this country, what you would have seen is, of course, they're going to play the initial video. That new information, even though it's it's ridiculous that the prosecution did not tell anyone about this the minute that they knew, but that new information has been out for about a week now. Yeah. Do you think that it. any major media outlet has reported on that memo? Nope. Not yes. a single one, and they will not. It will be buried at the bottom of the Laurentian abyss. Yep. Why? Because they have no interest in the general public, knowing all of the facts. If we had a media that was doing their job, they could say, hey, you know what? Without commentary, here's some additional information that the public should know since this has sparked nationwide rioting about what may have happened here. Draw your own conclusions. Here's the GoPro camera video that for 20 minutes leading up to the incident from the two other police officers. Here it is on our homepage. Go look at it. Here's a memo from the prosecutor's office that talks about the chief medical examiner's findings. Those findings contradict the narrative that he was murdered. Please peruse it at your leisure. They won't do that because they've decided they're on a particular team. Sure. The team is so-called social justice. But you know what? There's no justice for someone like Derek Chauvin or anyone else because when you do this, you inevitably destroy individual justice. It's not the job of the media to play favorites or gatekeepers for, for information. Let the people know and decide. They've decided, of course, that they want it suppressed because it doesn't support their worldview. So, and that's the problem. Let's very quickly segue into the other case. Mr. Blake, Yes, we'll do the same thing. Yes. What does the man on the street know about, in particular, LeBron James know about, what happened to Mr. Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin? Okay, so those are two different things. LeBron James knows nothing because he doesn't <laughs> care to know anything. The average person saw a black man get shot, it sounds like, seven times. And in the average, back. In the back. So I know where we're going to go with this story. My question remains, much like Derek Chauvin, seven times seems like a lot. I'm just, just going to say that it seems like excessive. You say once or twice, maybe I buy you needed to do that. I'm not talking about shooting for a limb. To, it's not the movies. 
but seven times seems like a lot of shots. Now, I know some of the things that led up to that, and we'll talk about that, but it just seems like an excessive amount of gunshots for the situation, for the single individual. But go ahead. Okay, so before we get into the number of gunshots, let's also talk about, amazingly, the the similar issues of absence of a additional information. I think the public also heard from initial reports that Mr. Blake was going to break up a squabble between two women. He, you know, he was, he was acting in a very benevolent sort of good Samaritan way. He was a good guy, just like the media portrayed Mr. Floyd as a good guy. And you know what? Maybe Mr. Floyd had become a good guy, but he recently was not a very good guy and, in fact, had a long criminal history. Anyone can change. No one deserves to die because they're a bad person. But if we're going to report these things, then we need to be accurate. Mm -hmm. Mr. Blake is also decidedly not a good guy. He has multiple felony convictions. The reason that the police were actually coming to that home that evening, we have now learned, is because there was an open warrant for Mr. Blake for sexual assault, basically rape. And the person that he had raped was the woman that lived in the home where he was going that night and where he was. And in fact, there was a restraining order which prevented him from being there, understandably so, given what had just transpired. By the way, as an aside, the Me Too chorus is deafeningly silent about Mr. Blake's, let's shall we say, objectionable history with women. In this case, I don't expect to hear from them. (laughs) Now, that sort of changes the perspective on what the cops expected to be confronting when they arrived to arrest Mr. Blake. Known felon on an open warrant with a restraining order going to the home of the woman that three months before he had sexually assaulted. Hmm. Yeah, there I I would say on high alert. There's also video, which of course no one has ever seen because the media won't show it, that before he was shot, the police officers attempted to restrain him, attempted to arrest him. He resisted. He then got an officer in a headlock, was wrestling with them. They then tasered him once, tasered him twice to no effect. And at one point, he can be seen circling the car with a knife in his hand. And you can hear on the video, the police officers telling him to drop the knife. Have you heard any of this from the mainstream media? No, we have not. And you never will. So at the point in which he is shot, Mr. Blake is going back and trying to enter the vehicle. An interesting tidbit about the vehicle. It is not his car. We're not sure whose car it is, but it's not his. And by the way, there are three children in the car. Mr. Blake has six children from different women. The children in the car are not his children. So one of the possibilities, and this is now, I'm not saying we know this, but one of the possibilities confronting a police officer that evening is that Mr. Blake was preparing to flee the premises in a car that he had just stolen from his ex-girlfriend with three children trapped potentially hostages in the vehicle. He is an armed known felon who has just struggled with police and resisted arrest. What do you do in that situation? Do you allow Mr. Blake to climb into the car and drive away and hope that he takes them to Wally world? Uh, I'm not sure. I would think not, but I don't live in the strange bizarro world in which the media lives. So I can't really answer that. So at a very, at, at a bare minimum, and we don't, 
No, and I'm not prepared to render judgment on whether or not the police ultimately in shooting him seven times was appropriate. But what we do know is that they were confronting a very serious situation with a man who was a known criminal, who was at a home where he had sexually assaulted someone, who was armed with a knife, who refused verbal instructions, who resisted arrest, who put an officer in a headlock and was tasered. And that's what led up to the shooting when he attempted to get in the car, apparently potentially still reaching for something else or at least still holding the knife. Now, does that mean that the officers acted properly? I don't know. I don't know enough about all of the details and we'll find more as it goes on. But is this anything close to what the media has presented to the public as what happened here? Not even remotely, but that's not a real surprise, is it? No. And of course, as a result, we have a hundred thousand strong city of Kenosha burning, rioting, complete chaos in the streets because all that the media cares to tell anyone is that a bunch of racist police murdered another African American. Let me, I want to read a, a Twitter post from Jonesy Laird. Um, is imagine being repeatedly sexually assaulted, threatened, and abused over the course of eight years. Somehow you manage to gather strength and courage to report your abuser and get a restraining order. A warrant is issued, but he doesn't go to jail. One day you're sitting at home and he shows up, has a knife on him, takes your keys. He's doing what he has done over and over. You're scared, so you call the police. They show up and your rapist gets shot while resisting arrest. But now everybody is talking about an honorable, how honorable and a man he is. He gets over a million dollars in donations. So you sit there thinking, why do you even report him? Maybe it's your fault he got shot. You should have just kept being a victim and he'd be okay. Everybody thinks he's a good guy. So what he did was normal. It must have been. You must have exaggerated, must have exaggerated and reported him for nothing. Next time someone abuses you, maybe you won't report them for it. The last time you did that, the guy became a millionaire. The next girl being abused might be thinking the same thing. Are people thinking about the rape victim? Short answer, no. That's the, that's the democratic narrative in a nutshell. We care about the women up until it changes the narrative to what else we want to push forward. I, I hadn't thought of it until I read that today. I, I, I thought, well, you know, he's a bad guy. And we, get, we constantly get told, well, you're just demonizing this guy. He's a victim. He's a victim. But he was victimizing people. I think his actions are relevant, not relevant to why he was shot seven times. And you're right. The investigation has to come out as to what, if that was necessary, unnecessary, I don't know. But he wasn't a good guy. He wasn't there for honorable purposes. He wasn't there because he was trying to break up a domestic dispute. He was the domestic dispute. He was the reason the cops were there. Now, I question why the cops couldn't find him because reportedly an hour earlier, he was having a barbecue at his apartment outside. So it wasn't like they were trying to find him very hard, but they found him eventually. But it does question this whole Me Too as you talked about, it's crap. They don't care about the Me Too. It's all about who can we punish? What narrative can we push? That makes me concerned because I think if you saw today, the NFL is going to allow NFL players to put Blake's uh, face on their on their helmet, yep. but, but they wouldn't let... What a choice. What a choice of a martyr. And the other, the other very important issue here is in these two incidents, and I'll add, I will add all of the, what I call the halo incidents, which have catalyzed the Black Lives Matter movement. So add in Trayvon Martin, add in Michael Brown, add in Freddie Gray, 
add in Eric Garner, right? All of these incidents, none of them have been reported accurately by the media. In fact, Michael Brown, that really was the galvanizing incident. Hands up, don't shoot. We've talked about this. That's a complete lie. That literally never happened. Michael Brown robbed a convenience store, scuffled with an officer who was in his car, tried to take his gun, and then ultimately charged the officer. And you don't have to take my word for it because the Obama DOJ, which is not exactly a friend to police who shoot African Americans, concluded, and believe me, I'm sure they were trying their darndest to figure out a way to bring the hammer down on that guy. They declined to bring any sort of charges. So all of these incidents that supposedly stand for the big lie, and what I call the big lie is the notion that there is rampant killing of minorities by racist police throughout the country. That is a lie. It's objectively false. We've talked about it. But every one of the incidents that's been used to perpetuate that myth has essentially been falsely reported, and in many ways, grotesque fashion. So the big issue now that I ask anybody about this is, what specific information, what facts do you have about Mr. Floyd and Mr. Blake that show that this killing was the result of racial animus, as opposed to, as opposed to potentially abusive policing? Because remember, the claim here is they were killed because they were black. Now, given the context of both that we have just shared, and again, and again, people, if you're listening to this and you're shaking your head and you're saying, Tony, you're out, you know, you, you've now gone full tinfoil hat. Here's all I would say to you. Everything that we have just talked about is completely factual. Go look at it yourself. You can pull up the actual memo that was written by the prosecutor's office in Minnesota. You can pull up the GoPro videos. You can pull up the videos of the police when they're attempting to restrain Mr. Blake. I'm not making any of this up. You just haven't heard about it because the media refuses to report it. The question is, Chad, what does any of this have to do with race other than, if you're prepared to say this, the cops are white and the people who were shot are black. If that's the only thing you need to know, that's fine. But then I'm going to be free to conclude based on that framework that anytime an African-American assaults, robs, kills someone who's white or another race, that is automatically driven by racial hatred. I would ask the people like LeBron James if he is willing to assent to that conclusion. I suspect he would not be. Well, that that takes me to the next topic. Um, uh, sports are dead to me. Uh, I just want to say that up front. Uh, are they what? They're dead to me. I, yeah, you know what? I actually am sort of in the same. I I don't know whether now. Look, I guess I will be. I will become weak if the if the NFL is playing because I will watch Philip Rivers if I can quarterback for the Colts. But they the the NFL is also very close to dead to me at this point. So, in in other news of pampered, spoiled, rich people, uh, Major League Baseball walked off after forty two seconds. Uh, the NBA just about imploded in the in the middle of their playoffs, which frankly, I didn't know the oh, playoffs had really started. I didn't care. LeBron James was ordering this. He's effectively trying to, to sabotage something. I don't know what he wants to get from this. Uh, even the NHL, which I think has three black players, decided to postpone games for two days uh, in solidarity with the players. 
and, and the NFL, as I said earlier, is going to allow them players to put Blake's face on this or his name on their helmets when they wouldn't allow the four cops shot in Dallas to be put a patch to be put on the Cowboys uniform because that was taken sides. Apparently, the NFL has decided we are woke. Finally, uh, we finally got into Colin Kaepernick wokeness and we're all in because they've also announced they're probably going to have a protest poetry throughout the first weekend of broadcast where the players read their poetry. I'm sure it will be awesome uh, repeatedly over the broadcast. So for three hours, you're going to hear really bad poetry by people who are clueless most of the time. I, and this is, this is for me. I said, sports are dead to me because right now there's not a sport out there that doesn't just want to play sports. They want to be, you know, some, I read something today. Uh, they said, you know, if you or I went to our place of employment and on company time protested, we'd be reprimanded, if not fired for that role. And yet these spoiled brats think they can just hold up whatever it is. You're being paid millions of dollars to play a sport. And you think that's the time you should just uh, not show up. If, if I were the, if I were the Boston Celtics playing the Milwaukee buck or not was it Milwaukee, was it, was it, um, was Milwaukee, wasn't it? Well, the Milwaukee Bucks were the ones. That, I mean, yeah, in, yeah. in one of the more farcical events of all of this, and the, the entire Orlando. thing is a farce, isn't that the the Milwaukee Bucks team? Yeah, called the Attorney General of Wisconsin from the locker room. Now, I have a few reactions to this. Number one, if I was the Attorney General of Wisconsin and my secretary came into my office and or my assistant and said, um, "Sir." Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are on the line. They've uh, apparently done some sleuthing and would like to talk to you about their findings in the Blake uh, shooting. I would say, um, hang up. Yes. Uh, or perhaps number two, if I was going to be courteous, uh, I would answer the phone and I would say, um, Giannis, nice to talk to you. I hear you want to you want to discuss the Blake shooting. You, you um you have some additional facts on the ground that you want to provide to me. Oh no, you just want to demand sort of mob justice. Is that is that the idea? Yes. Yeah, see, my job as the attorney general kind of prevents me from doing that. In <laughs> fact, that's the kind of thing that you've been fighting for. You remember the civil rights movement? That whole mob justice thing. That's what was going on for way too many years in this country. Only. African-Americans were the victims. So I'm not sure you really want to be calling for that uh, on behalf of African-Americans against other races. Maybe you should sit down and have a team group chat about the wisdom of that stuff. It is ridiculous, completely absurd. And they're going to soon realize the NBA is already, look, it's already a niche sport. We've talked about this. <laughs> the NFL, the NFL thinks it's impervious because <laughs> it's, it's, it, it sort of stands alone as the Titan, right? You know what? Empires can fall very quickly. And if the NFL persists in this, because it has the most conservative, I'm not even going to say conservative, the most sort of blue collar fan base yeah. of all team sports, they're in for a rude awakening because their ratings are going to go into the abyss if they, if they keep this up. Well, I, I was actually looking forward to the NFL season. I know there's been issues, but I I can't with good conscience say I feel like I care. I mean, I you know my feelings about the Ravens. I detest the Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens. I well, as a Steelers fan, you have to. Well, exactly. I, I have to. 
And when they decided because they're, they, they needed to not practice on Thursday, they need to have a team meeting and see if they were going to proceed. I'm like, just get rid of all of them. You know, going back to the NBA, I think it was the Bucs. I don't remember which team it was that didn't come out on the floor and didn't tell right. anybody. Forfeit. Yeah, you're done. See That's right. You, you lose it, the it, game. It, it, <laughs> another point about the NBA. Adam Silver, um, the the most woke commissioner in the history of wokeness. Um, here, the interesting thing is that if you remember David Stern, the late commissioner of the NBA, who sort of mentored Adam Silver, David Stern was a very politically progressive guy. I mean, extremely progressive. However, he also understood the bottom line that he was the commissioner of a business enterprise. And the job of that business enterprise was to maximize the profits and the exposure and the value of that league. David Stern would not have permitted or tolerated one second of this ridiculous theater. You know what would have happened? The Milwaukee Bucks would have said, we're boycotting and not showing up. And David Stern would have said, okay, you've lost that game. Why don't you tell me whether you're going to protest the next two games of your playoff series? We can handle that. You're out of the playoffs. Thank you for coming. Uh, Go home for the summer. You can get on Facebook and activate, be activists to your heart content. Um, Now, let me ask any of the other teams. Are you going to play in the playoffs or not? If you're not, we'll just cancel all the playoffs. There won't be a champion. None of you will be paid. See you next year. Maybe. Oh, also I'm going to look into whether or not this constitutes a breach of your contracts and the collective bargaining agreement. And to the extent the league is losing millions upon millions of dollars for that breach, I'm going to sue each one of you players individually. Thank you. Have a good night. That's exactly what David Stern would have done. Oh, and he would also have said, and I stand with you in objecting to what I believe to be racial inequality in this country, but you're not going to do that on my time. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. That would have been the message from David Stern. Yes. But Adam we don't have adults in the room anymore, Chad. Well, we that don't. Can communicate those things. The mob is ruling here. And the thing you did, our friend, the historian, if he was objective, which he is obviously not, uh, would remember the French Revolution. You cannot satisfy the mob. It does not matter what you give them. They will always want more. It's a blackmail scheme that goes back long, long, long time. So you give them the ability, you give the NBA players the ability to put garbage on their jerseys, put garbage on the courts, have their protest. They're still, you still, they still have players coming out and say, well, they, they said the right things, but I, I don't think they're going to fall through. They're not acting. They've already given you more of a mile than the inches they should have ever even conceded because it is a business. And guess what? People tune in to watch sports. They do not tune in to watch a political rally. If they want to watch a political rally, go to C-SPAN. It's all over the place. You can find it if you want to watch a political rally. They came to watch sports. Okay? So I don't want to hear about this is your opportunity for people to listen. I, every athlete out there, I do not care what you think. Not at all, ever. If you want to, again, if you want to on your own time, on 
off days in the summer, you want to go on a barnstorming tour, LeBron, why don't you, you know, go, go out on tour with uh, the author of white fragility and whatever other scholars you have advising you about these issues, go town to town. If you want, it's a free country. Um, You know, it's funny. They like to compare LeBron uh, who's, you know, who's now the the so-called avatar for the socially just athlete uh, with Muhammad Ali. You know what, Chad? I don't ever remember Muhammad Ali saying in the third round of a title fight, I'm boycotting the rest of this fight with Joe Frazier until I can speak with the DA of this county to talk about racial injustice or the Vietnam War. I want to talk to the president about the Vietnam War. No, you know what he did? He actually faced the consequences, uh, refused the draft, uh, You know, was essentially stripped of his ability to box, Okay, I actually respect a guy like that. I don't agree with his political positions, but when it was time for him to do what he's being paid for, there was none of this nonsense. But everyone still knew full well what Muhammad Ali thought about these issues. As you said, if they can't separate their – if they think their work is now to be political activists, then <laughs> go do that. Yes. I don't want to You'll get it. paid nearly as much. <laughs> well, you never know. It seems it worked out for Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. So maybe, that's true. Yes. The shakedown operations can be very lucrative, <laughs> but I, I just want to be very clear on that to everyone. I, and I've said this for a couple of years now, I only care to watch the sport. I do not care to hear you talk about your opinions and that may sound callous and rude, but I don't care what you think. I, I truly do not ever care. what You might agree with me. I still don't want to hear it. I came to watch Philip rivers, throw a football. I don't care what Philip Rivers thinks about anything. And that's pick a stealer. Same thing. I don't care what you think. I, I've never cared what you think. You have your lives. I have my life. I came. I paid my money. I want to see you play a sport. That's why I'm here. It's entertainment, period. You're not entertaining me if you're talking about stuff I don't want to hear, good or bad. I don't want to hear it. End of story. I think one of the other problems here is the same problem that exists. Uh, with the media is that owners, the commissioner, right? People at a high level in these sports have completely lost touch with what the average person actually thinks. In other words, they're immersed in these bubbles where the only opinions that they hear are the approved progressive scriptures about all of this stuff. So the parties they go to, the peoples that they, the people that they interact with on a daily basis, of course, most of the athletes, because the ones that disagree are cowed into silence. And you know, they read their Twitter and they look at the New York Times and they think, oh my goodness, this is actually probably a good decision for us to get behind this. When they don't realize, as you said, the vast majority of the people who are paying their outlandish salaries Number one, don't agree with this one-sided presentation. But more importantly, as you said, they simply don't want any politics involved. Okay? This is an escape from daily life. This is an escape from the stress of their job and the difficulties in their home life and whatever else. It's three hours of entertainment watching the best athletes in the world. And if you're going to ruin that for them too – then they're gone. Yeah, uh, and that and you are going to see. I predict if this continues, uh, there is going to be a mass exodus of people watching the NFL that is going to be seismic. 
You and, and it should be. It should be. In other words, it's not going to just be a blip. By midseason, it is going to be beyond ignoring. And then there will be the same sort of panicked backpedaling like we see with the Democratic Party after they spend an entire convention pretending that the country wasn't in flames and then realized, oh my goodness, people actually don't like rioting, looting, and burning and feeling unsafe in their homes, and they blame us properly. Let's prop up Joe, get him in front of a camera to say some mealy-mouthed verbiage about how he opposes rioting. But it's the that was the next topic I wanted to talk about. And you you probably saw some power line that riots and Joe Biden's Joe Isuzu problem. They lie, they lie, they lie because they don't think you care. And I want to read this this one portion of this, because I think this really sums it up. Uh, and this goes to our friend uh, in his blog. The, this, co- this connects to the contempt most liberal Democrat, Democrats have for the country and have had for a long time. We keep hearing from the left that Trump is shredding political norms. Where have I heard that before? I've heard that many times from our buddy. But who is it who wants to abolish the Senate and the Electoral College, repeal the Second Amendment, Tinker with the First Amendment to allow censorship of quote-unquote hate speech. I want to touch on that when we're done here. Pack the Supreme Court and admit D.C. and Puerto Rico as states just to add four more Democrats to the Senate. And that's before you ask any Democrat to make criticism of the 1619 Project. And this author says, I'm not aware of a single Democrat yet who has done so, I mean, condemning the 1619 Project. But remember, Trump's tweets are mean. Exactly. Trump's tweets are mean. (laughs) And the title of this episode is Words Matter, But Actions Matter More. So, yes, Trump says mean things. Trump acts in a boorish behavior. And I came to a realization the other day, and I really think it I should have come to this sooner. There are people out there, including our friend, who only take things, only listen to words. They, they discount actions as meaningless. They only look at the words. So you hear Trump, and most times he doesn't sound presidential. He sounds less than presidential when he speaks. Certainly when he tweets, he sounds less than presidential. You hear Joe Biden cowering in his basement, and he sounds, just on the surface, if you just read a transcript, as presidential. But the actions of both are vastly different. Now, Trump has some bad actions as well, but there's nothing in Biden's 40 plus years in public service that make you think this man has anything resembling a backbone to stand up to anyone or anything. He's done practically nothing. And the things he has done, he's tried to repudiate as he goes about this campaign to try to make himself seem like I didn't actually do that. The problem is, you know, he talks about, I am for everybody. Did you realize? And I just read this today. He was one of the Democrats who didn't want to let the boat people from Vietnam and Cambodia into the country in 1975 because he didn't want them coming and taking American jobs. It was 150,000 boat people. Look it up. If you don't know who the boat people are, go look it up. He, it, it just it amazes me that he gets glossed over for all his greatness because oh, there is no greatness. You, Of course it gets glossed over. I mean, your it's point pathetic. is correct that there is this obsessive focus with the things that Trump says Uh, to the exclusion of his policies, because anytime you actually ask someone, and I've said this before, since Trump is the heinous overlord of 
uh, dystopian America and is rushing us into oblivion. What are the three most horrible policies he, he has enacted? And, and, and essentially it's, it's, it's the thinnest of gruel. They, they can't even now again. And by the way, you have to, you have to allow for the fact that he isn't a progressive. So certainly you're not going to like as a progressive, many policies that any conservative president, and I'm not necessarily calling Trump a conservative, but the point is it's already built into the analysis that, yeah, you're not going to like lowering taxes. You're not going to like smaller government. If that's your complaint, then he's, he's basically within the norm, but no, no, your claim is, and our friend's claim is he is unique in his heinousness, yeah. in his in his attempts to fundamentally destroy the country, right? But you never get any any meaningful example of this. The examples that you get are laughable in terms of actual conduct. And the other point here is that, yeah, they listen to words, but only certain words, because people like our friend fixate with a jeweler's loop on every single thing that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. But they somehow memory hole things like Joe Biden's rancid demagoguery when he said things like they're going to put you all back in chains when he was talking to blacks, right? His outbursts on the campaign trail, his plagiarism, his constant lying about his positions. The In fact, there's a, a pretty popular podcast, um, Pod Save America, and I think it's um, <laughs> it's two. It's the former Obama guy, right? Um, is it? Um, oh, I can't think of his name. John Favreau. Yeah. And the guy, and actually, there was a clip that I saw on that podcast to give the guy points for honesty, where he was mocking the media's characterization of Biden and Harris as moderates. He's laughing at it. <laughs> He's like, I, and he says, I love it. He says, I love the world that we're in where apparently Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are moderate. Favor of the Green New Deal, $4 trillion in new taxes, unrestricted abortion on demand, open borders, sanctuary cities. This is the moderate. So the, the person that's supposedly the honest broker, right, who's speaking truth to power, never seems to be able to take the time to evaluate the things that are coming out of Joe Biden's mouth, his obvious falsifications, his obvious hypocrisy. And we've talked about this before, and I saw another clip today, his obvious clinical mental decline to the point where I don't think this man, if he is propped up for 60 minutes in front of a live audience can make it through. I, I don't say that to be funny. I, know. I don't think he can do it. I saw a clip today. You can look it up on Twitter where he was presented in a live setting. No questions, of course, to the media where he attempted to get out a thought about COVID you should go listen to it. It is 20 minutes or 20 seconds of garbled incoherence that is cringeworthy to watch. And the only reaction from any fair-minded observer would be, this man needs medication. He needs something. He needs treatment. He is in precipitous cognitive decline. And these people want him to be president of the United States. It's unbelievable. What I read today, somebody said... Uh Bad news for Democrats. It looks like Biden might actually live through the election. I mean, that's the that's the downside. I mean, Kamala Harris is talking like she's the president waiting that you know it's going to be well, her. I think she knows. I mean, look, it's an open secret. I'm sure in the private meetings there that it that look they're hoping to get somehow they're going to pull Biden across the finish line, but ultimately probably much sooner than later, Kamala Harris is going to be running the country because I don't think Joe Biden physically can make it through even the first six months of a term. 
I don't disagree. I'm not. I, I think maybe Biden was relevant four years ago when he probably should have run. It doesn't change his policies. It doesn't change anything he was going to do. I just I'm struggling. You must you must detest Trump so much to think that this walking stiff is is a good choice. I mean, forget everything else you know. Just just take away all the negativity around Trump and look at what you're actually saying. I want to vote for. I want to vote for this because I think he can make America better. Make America. I won't say make America great. There's a there's a meme running around, you know. Biden says I have all the answers to fix America. Question is, if you had them, why didn't you tell Obama when you were in power for eight years? You had all the answers. What what'd you wait for? Why'd you hold back? Uh, right. It's the same. It's exactly the same reason why all of the people running the blue cities that are on fire right now. Yeah. Um, why haven't you implemented all your answers for systemic racism and uh, social justice? You've been governing those precincts for 50 years at every level. Yet somehow, I don't know, I guess it just wasn't the right time to implement Operation Utopia. Yeah, Maybe well, next year. Wasn't it Ted Wheeler, the uh, mayor of Portland, who said, if we elect Biden, then the riots will stop? Yes. Like, okay. You can't just stop the riots. We have to not have Trump in power. Right. The country you have here would be ashamed to continue to burn it to the ground. <laughs> just as an aside, and this has nothing to do with anything we're talking about. There are actually uh, 13 states in the country where you can own a, can a live kangaroo. Just throw that I out there. Live cannon. Live kangaroo. In Pennsylvania, oh. you need a permit, but you can own a live kangaroo. If you were thinking about a pet for the kids, just, just throwing it out there. You know what? That might be a better option than another dog. So we're going to look into that. Just never know. I, I just, I, I'm coming to the point where I really, I don't like Trump personally. I, I wish he was not who he is. We've said that over and over and over again. I like most of his policies. I think he, I wouldn't want to be his friend because I wouldn't think I would be friends very long. He would stab me in the back and, shuffle me off to the side pretty quickly. But I just don't see anything from the Democrats. They didn't. It's four years later, and they still put up garbage next to who Trump is beatable if you put up a living, breathing human being who doesn't offend everybody they speak about. Well, it's not even that now. And what is, and what is crystallized here in the last week in, in sort of, the, again, the panic-stricken looks on the faces of people like Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo as they look at the internal polling. This is now boiling down, in my view, particularly for the people that are, you know, supposedly the undecideds, the, you know, the great swing voters, is one issue and one issue only, law and order. If you don't have that, if you have rampant anarchy, violence, chaos, in your cities and soon coming to a suburb near you, nothing else matters, Chad. None, none of the other policy debates that we, we can get into, uh, you know, pick your, pick your issue, economic, farm. If you can't guarantee the safety, the normalcy of your citizens that they can walk down the street without being accosted by some maniac who's going to 
try to run them over. I mean, the guy that just got shot the other day in Portland, right? Yeah. Now, again, I'm not saying that this is like we live in areas where we haven't seen this. Right. But the point is, is that it's not going away. And you either have to be someone who's willing to step up and say, enough. By the way, did you hear a single, have you heard a single Democrat? Biden has again come out and said, yes, yes, we do think, we do think rioting is bad. I'm reading my cue card. Have you seen a single one of them go further and say, we support the police in enforcing the law and arresting the miscreants and criminals? Have you seen any statement like that? No. They will never say that. They can't bring themselves to say that. And so you have, if I'm Donald Trump, all I'm hammering, by the way, our friend would call this fear mongering. No, this is called reality mongering because you have one party in this country who is simply unwilling to say that law and order matter, that they are the fundamental things that must exist for all the rest of society to function. And if you don't have that, you're going to have Lord of the Flies. And if I'm Trump, I'm hammering that message from now until election day. This is your stark choice. You have people who can't bring themselves really to denounce looting. In fact, in many cases, enable it. Rioting and the destruction of your neighborhoods and the intimidation. Have you seen the footage of people now dining out in D.C. where you have these roving mobs who are going by with megaphones and demanding that they raise their fists, right? Yeah. yeah. It is encouraging an environment of threat and menace. And that is not a free society. No. And one party seems to understand this and the other is oblivious or in some ways almost tacitly endorsing it. That issue by itself will win this election for Trump. I, I don't say tacitly endorsing it. I mean fully endorsing it. And I want to, again, our, our friend likes to talk about racist dog whistles. You know what I read recently? If you're hearing the dog whistle, you might be the dog because I'm not seeing all these dog whistles he speaks of. He's like decoding for me what was said with what's behind the scenes. I'm like, I didn't I didn't read that. Now, I, I'm not claiming I'm the most intelligent person that's ever lived, but I'm really questioning why you you see racist dog whistles in every phrase. If it's a Republican saying it, I'm confused by that. Is it is it really there or are you just hearing it because he's he's messing with you because you can't you can't understand uh whether the trump derangement syndrome or it's just trump i i don't know but I, I get a little tired of hearing about how you're supposed to be outraged by this thing that i'm outraged by even though i didn't get outraged by it because i didn't understand i was supposed to be outraged by it but you're outraged by literally everything so i'm confused just throwing that out there if 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 you're hearing the dog whistle it's Probably because you're the dog. That's that's all I'm saying. Leave it at that. <laughs> and if you if you find the things that we have talked about relating to George Floyd and Blake, what's his first name? What's uh, Mr. Blake? Jacob. Is it Jacob? Yes. If you find that um, startling, if you if you are skeptical, if you hear your inner voice saying that's absurd. Tony must be parroting Fox News. I don't watch Fox News. I simply encourage you, go to the primary sources. Go to the videos. Go to that memo. Go watch it. Go take it in. And then ask yourself the question, why is it, if you didn't know about this, that no one has really told you in the media? 
And I think that's a rhetorical question because we all know the answer to that. And then maybe the next time there's one of these episodes, and by the way, in a country of 330 million, there's going to be another and another because it's unavoidable before you jump and call your AG in support of LeBron, think about what you're not being told and perhaps wait until we have all of the information so that we can form an opinion about what actually happened. Because right now we have a bunch of screeching mobs running around uh, that are inflaming this country and dividing Americans. And there is a media and a political party, I'm afraid, who are acting as the uh, arsonists for this. Yeah, there is. And just in case you weren't depressed enough, uh, the New York Times reported that uh, possibly about 90% of those people tested for COVID-19 had uh, basically a false positive. They had insignificant amounts of the virus present in their bodies that such individuals do not need to isolate, nor are they candidates for contact tracing. 90%. Yeah. So every time you hear that That's number, so you know that that, that had to be, they be needed hard. therapy after they were forced to publish that article. Yeah. Uh, 90% of the people test. That's, that's pretty insane if you think about it. Uh, By the way, I suspect the person that wrote that article is now uh, been fired. <laughs> they, you do not work here anymore. That is true. Well, like they claim there's a bottleneck at testing, that they're testing people who shouldn't have been tested. So that's why it's okay to get rapid testing, but 90% of the people you've tested didn't need to be tested in the first place. I believe all the experts. Well, I, I, somebody asked me about this weekend. They said, you know, I I'm concerned schools going back in session, colleges going back. Uh, you know, I'm seeing that the cases are rising. I'm like, yes, the cases are rising. People have the disease if you test for it, but are they symptomatic? Do they have any actual things that need treated? Or are they just, have the disease. I said, how many times were you exposed to the flu over the course of a year or years that you didn't really develop? You felt not off, you felt off for a day or so, but you didn't really have the full blown symptoms. There's a lot of people like that out there. And, and I'm not saying everybody, obviously there's people have been very sick and people have died, but it's not everybody. And, you know, we talked about the younger that you are, the less likely you have anything serious from this. It just it, it begs the question, if, if we're doing all this and 90% of the people don't really have a need, why are we getting so freaked out about the number of people who have the antibodies? I, I, I don't know. Just, mm. just an aside. Perhaps perhaps a subject we can further explore next time. Yes. Along with, we may, we may have to talk about uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. Okay. I was trying to avoid that, but sure. <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I actually don't want to avoid it because I think there's a bunch of different points that need to be made. You know, our, our friend made the claim that somehow his downfall was a bad day for team conservative evangelical. Apparently, there's teams within evangelicalism. There's also, I guess, a progressive evangelical team that it wasn't a bad day for. But we're, I want to talk about Falwell Jr. and uh, not only that whole controversy, but sort of the broader context of the evangelical movement. I think, okay. I think that could prove to be uh, interesting. And if it's not interesting, you can, you can speed out. ahead when we talk about gripes, grievances. Before we get to that next week, I just want to say, does it seem odd that our friend was almost giddy that Jerry Falwell Jr. crashed and burned? I mean, does it seem odd? Well, 
I think it seems rather predictable, wouldn't you, at this point? I think it seems predictable, but based on what he's proclaiming to be and his mindset and his, for lack of a better term, holier-than-thou attitude, he seemed very happy that this man crashed and burned and his family and, and, oh, and the, the bridge. I would suspect that one thing he might say is that he's happy that a bad man um, who is harming Liberty's Christian witness has been removed from power. And you know what? Uh, okay. Insofar as that would be his position, I agree with him. I- I'm not a fan and never have been a fan of Falwell Jr. for a variety of reasons, and sure. we'll talk about that. But you're right. There is a bit of unseemly – this is a good word, Chad. You've heard it before. Schadenfreude. You know what that good German word means? Yeah. It means – delight in others misery yeah germans have good words for I, a lot I, of stuff i guess i i feel you know if you're super sympathetic and you know your christian witnesses i don't i don't agree with you i don't want you in charge of something like this but i don't revel in your in your failure well, I remember remember the reveling mostly has to do with the fact that he was right supports trump no, he supports Trump, yeah. and therefore, um, bad orange man consumes and obsesses every waking thought, and therefore, we must celebrate because somehow this might be harmful to bad orange man. Uh, that's <laughs> that's sort of the filter. I, I really believe that had had Falwell Jr. not aligned himself with Trump, we would have a much more sympathetic, um, perhaps okay. empathetic, even though saying look he has to go uh viewpoint but you can't once you're once you have aligned yourself with mordor there there is no grace there <laughs> not happening oh that's so true that is so true like that will have to wait till next time but uh i i give you that's a nice preview for next time so that's good you got anything else tonight tony I have nothing else. We would we would love, as always, since Chad's hypocritical introduction says that we <laughs> agree to disagree. We would love vicarious disagreement uh, yes, on please. any of the topics we have covered. I, in particular, because as I always say, I enjoy disagreement more than agreement, um, which means that I really don't enjoy this show very much at all. He never listens to it, folks. Uh, and I and just to keep in tune here, friendly keynote is his uh, screen name tonight friendly I don't, I don't even understand what that means i who cares it's just i i just like to see every week what they name you and i think that's nice um the random generator i would rate this one uh on a scale of one to ten about a three that's yeah. not that's not good there have been better but i i you know i just like to look for it every week what it's going to be there you go so that's all i got thank you for joining us i'm chad tony good night This has been a Hannah Tree production.